0: Welcome to the podcast at Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 will begin in verse 12 today. Uh, Jesus has been speaking to seven churches in uh, Asia Minor uh, for the time, as as we have been going through Revelation. And uh, we saw at the very beginning, you know, Jesus came to John in this vision. He saw, John saw Jesus uh, with eyes that were flames of fire, that, that he had white hair and a white robe that went down to his feet, and a golden sash, and all of these descriptors of of what Jesus was like, and he had this sword that came out of his mouth as well. We see as Jesus addresses each of these seven churches, how he begins by talking about one of those descriptors. Today, Jesus uh, addresses the church in Pergamum as the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. This one who comes in judgment. What is a sword for? Uh, there, there's the sense in, its, which it's, in which it's for protection, but also, uh, God says, Paul says in uh, Romans that the government is given the sword to, to judge evildoers. Jesus comes with the sword and he threatens this church. You ever think that Jesus would threaten his church? So many times he's spoken, I'm I'm with you. I walk among the lampstands. I'm, I'm with my people. But here he threatens to come and make war on his very church. Let's listen to what Jesus has to say. Revelation 2 beginning in verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Lord, we thank you that, that you have spoken in your word. Lord, give us ears to hear. As you keep saying in each of these letters, you say, Let the one who has ears to hear, hear. Lord, give us ears. We need you to open our ears, open our eyes, that we might hear from you. Father, be with me, a sinner. I fall short so many times and in so many ways. Give me strength to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, Jesus comes to the church of Pergamum and he says, Into the angel of the church of Pergamum, the words of him who has the sharp, two edged sword. We think of the sharp two-edged sword and it conjures up many different images in our minds. One, you know, the Word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. Sword, Right? It, it, it penetrates to our hearts. It's almost like a scalpel. You know, whenever Hebrews talks about the sword of the Word of God that, that is so sharp that it penetrates between the bone and the marrow. God, God's Word speaks to us. And it convicts us of sin. But also the sword is one of judgment. Jesus says first he commends the church for something they're doing right. Just like he did for the church um, of Ephesus that we looked at first. He does start with a commendation for something they've done right. He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name and did not deny the faith even in the days of Antipas. He knows that they dwell in a difficult place. Pergamum was probably what was known as the the capital, the religious capital of Asia Minor for the, the Roman imperial cult. Those who demanded the worship of Caesar, that demanded the worship of Diocletian, would have been centered there in Pergamum, where they were. So he knew they were living in a dangerous place. It says, by Satan's throne itself. Jesus says they have been faithful and have not denied Jesus' name. While persecution is coming, while people may have come to them and said, deny Jesus, you know, pay tribute to the idols. Do something to show that you're going to be a loyal Roman citizen and not a Christian. But they have held fast to Jesus' name. They held fast. They would not deny him. Just like we talked about a few weeks ago in Polycarp, how he said, I'd I'd live for 80 years, 86 years. Jesus has never done me wrong. I won't deny him now. The church there in Pergamum, they were faithful. They did not deny his name. Even in the days of Antipas, they had one of their members that was killed because of his witness because of the fact that he would not deny Jesus yet even in the spite of there was one that were killed they he, they all kept on they kept on holding fast holding firm in the face of seeing one of their own killed they would not deny the name of Jesus but then Jesus comes to them like he does to five out of the seven churches and he tells them that he has something against them that they need to repent of." Verse 14, "But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam." Notice he says, "Some there. It's not like the whole church has embraced this teaching. It's only a few that have hold it that have embraced it. that there's some who hold the teachings of Balaam. What is this teaching of Balaam? Well, it points back to that passage in the Old Testament that we read. He says, Balaam taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So this teaching of Balaam had something to do with idolatrous practices and sexual immorality. And then he says, so also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. As we said a few weeks ago, we don't know much about the Nicolaitans. We only read about them here and in the letter to the church of Ephesus. It's likely that the, church, the Nicolaitans were teaching the very same things that uh, he talks about as the teaching of Balaam. The idea is that uh, they were making peace with idolatry. The imperial cult was there. They were demanding that Christians deny Jesus that they worship by by maybe putting a little bit of incense on the altar there at the pagan cult, the pagan temple. And some of them may have made peace with that. They may have thought, oh, well, if we're going to be accepted in the world, then we need to be able to go along with some of the, the pagan practices around us so that we're not ostracized. So maybe they, they began to, you know, they, it's okay if we go ahead and eat the food that's in the marketplace that's, that's uh, been sacrificed to idols. They're making peace with the world around them and the idolatry that was around. And also they were making peace with the sexual ethic of the world around them. It would have been a, a, a sexually immoral culture that they lived in. And Christians, I'm sure, just like now, back then, they were ridiculed because of their stand for purity. And here, these false teachers, they were saying, oh, it's okay. There's nothing wrong. They were falling into this false teaching. And Jesus warns them, you need to repent. Repent. You know, there's something that idolatry and sexual immorality have in common. Both of them have the idea, uh, they carry this sense of wanting to have your needs met. What is an idol? An idol, of course, is anything we place in God's place. where Anything that we prize among, uh, above Jesus. And idolatry... Uh, is basically an idea that we need this. We need this good thing more than we need Jesus. Prizing it above Jesus. We need to have our needs met by this idol. And sexual immorality is the same. It's, It's trying to get our needs met, our physical needs met in a way that is outside of God's plan saying that these things are more important than faithfulness to Jesus. Jesus says, repent, repent. He warns them, if you do not repent, I will come to you soon and war with them with the sword of my mouth. That's what Jesus says the sword coming out of his mouth is for. It's coming for judgment. He's going to make war against these that were holding to this false teaching. But notice something. He says that the whole church is to repent. You, the whole church. I'm not talking about necessarily Woburn Baptist Church, but he's saying to the church of Pergamum, the whole church is to repent or else if they don't, then He was going to come to these who held to false teaching, who were flirting with sexual immorality and idolatry and make war with them. He tells everyone to repent, but this few is the ones that He's going to make war with. I think the point there. It's very similar to what we see in 1 Corinthians. Paul there uh, is incensed because he saw that in, within the church of Corinth they were tolerating sexual immorality. They were tolerating it. They had one of their own members who had, had sexual relations with their own stepmother, with their father's wife. And Paul tells them Hand them over to Satan. Discipline them for the sake of redemption. Jesus here is saying the same thing to the church here. Do not tolerate sexual immorality within your midst or I will make war against them. Why would we want to practice church discipline? Why would we want to speak out against someone's false teaching that may lead to immorality? because it is dangerous to their souls and because we love them and because we don't want Jesus to come to them with the sword in His mouth and make war against them. We want them to be saved. We want them to be rescued from that kind of judgment. So repentance for this church, for uh, the Pergamum church, was to practice church discipline. You know, we live in a world today where that's almost unheard of. It's becoming more and more common among, among churches. But there was a day in Baptist life in the 1800s when 2% of the membership of a Southern Baptist church was disciplined every single year because they held each other accountable and they wouldn't tolerate sin within their midst. But, but over the years and through the 20th century, And even up to today, it's hard to grow a church whenever you're kicking people out, right? It's hard to, it's just easier to just overlook it. You know, you might upset somebody, the giving will go down, all these things. It's just more practical to just overlook it, hope nobody notices, but Jesus notices. Jesus notices. He wants a pure church. And one of the things that He has given us to be able to strive for a pure church is church discipline. He gives us the rules in Matthew 18 of going to a person individually and confronting them. And if they don't repent, go to them with someone else. And if they still don't repent, then bring them before the church. Here, This church, they're tolerating among their midst sexual immorality and idolatry. And Jesus tells them, if you don't do something about it, I will. Verse 17, Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches He's speaking to an individual church here, the church of Pergamum, yet he says this, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He may be speaking in this original context of Pergamum, but he is speaking to every church everywhere of every age. We need the Spirit to help us to hear what Jesus says. And finally, he says, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. What is it? What is it that is so desirable about this hidden manna and this white stone you know, we read about it in, in the other churches. He promises a, a, a crown of life. He promises uh, that the one who conquers won't be hurt by the second die, death. Why do we want this hidden manna? Why do we want this white stone with a new name on it that no one knows except the one who receives it? Well, I think it goes back to the sense idolatry, sexual immorality, it's wanting to get our needs met apart from Jesus. And the one who conquers, the one who stands firm, the one who repents as Jesus is calling them to, he will receive some hidden manna. What is manna? It was how God met the needs of His people whenever they were in the wilderness. Why did God give them the manna? It says in Deuteronomy, God gave them the manna so that they would learn not to live by bread alone, but by every word which comes from the Father. The one who conquers will be given hidden manna because it will show them God will provide for all their needs. They don't need an idol to take care of it. They don't need anything else. But God will provide for all their needs. And the one who conquers, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. What is it about sexual immorality? A lot of times people who fall into that, they're wanting intimacy. They want intimacy, but this intimacy that they get out of sexual immorality is false intimacy. It is a lie. It does not fulfill. And what Jesus gives whenever he gives a white stone with a name on it that no one knows except The one who receives it, he gets intimacy with the Father. Of course, God the Father knows what is written on that stone. And the one who receives it knows what is written on that stone. So that one who receives it, that one who conquers, will receive a stone with intimate information that only the Father in Him knows about. I think this white stone and this hidden manna are promises that say, You want your needs met? God will provide for all your needs. You want intimacy? You can have an intimacy with Me that satisfies, that is not a false intimacy. Jesus promises those things to the one who overcomes. So what does Jesus call us to today? He calls us to overcome. He calls us to speak out against false teaching and immorality. He calls us not to just be silent and to overlook it. And He does so for the sake of redemption. He says, if you don't do something about that sin, I will. Why do we confront Those who say they're believers yet have immorality in their lives, we confront them so that God doesn't punish them. We confront them because we want to see them saved from it. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit says to his churches. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.